Hello and welcome to another episode of Taking the Stand with uh, me, Herma Pretorius, the director of Than, and our recurring guest star. She would probably now be nominated for an Emmy in that capacity were this television show and were we to be interested, you know, or care anything about the Emmys. But um, welcome to Taking the Stand, uh, where uh, for the past few weeks um, we have been chatting about the ideas of justice and social justice and how these things uh, work in practice, uh, how they don't work in practice quite often, um, and specifically how social justice with a lowercase s and a lowercase j is something that is perhaps worth pursuing. You know, it is it is societal justice. It is uh, uh, living in a just society. But if you capitalize that s and you capitalize that j, and you make it a pronoun type of thing, you've got social justice, you know, with some moral momentum behind it, then you are straying into theories and philosophies and a school of thought that has been gaining a lot of traction over the last decade or so. But it goes back even further than the last decade. It goes back centuries and perhaps, um, uh, you know, well, not centuries, uh, almost a century, I think, would be a fair uh, look at it. Um, and this week, in looking at, you know, social justice, capital S, capital J versus justice, I thought it would be good if we looked at this idea of knowledge and of words. Now, if that sounds esoteric, we will de-esotericize that quite rapidly. Sarah, am I right in my understanding that Social justice equals critical theory, and one of these families of theories, critical race theory, is something that we face significantly in South Africa because that's essentially what this race transformationist narrative is really philosophically based on, and that this family of ideas from social justice, critical theories, critical race theory, these things rely on a fundamental rejection of something like objective knowledge, would that be a fair, you know, deduction? Because that's how I understand it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, a a sort of stand against object. What we call it, I suppose, they refer to as objective truth. And they're basically saying is that it's there is no it's not objective truth. There is only subjective truth. My truth, your truth. Um, we all have a truth based on our own experience and whether that experience be immediate and direct or whether it be some generations back, back, it's, it's, it's truth is not an objective uh, criterion. Objectivity has essentially is, 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 is part of the enemy, I guess, is, is, is a way of putting it. So yeah, that, that is the problem. The problem I see with that, however, is that if you're not, if there's a contentious issue and you're not all striving towards the truth. Uh, finding it is another issue, but if you're not striving for, for the truth, um, you've, got no, you've got no commonality. There's, there's, there's nothing for you to work together towards. You, I would assume in reality, you follow the truth of whoever is the dominant personality in any given group, whatever that truth may be. And, and I mean, if, if that sounds awful, I think it probably is because it is quite awful um and and you you mentioned this before um i don't know if you've mentioned it on the show but in certainly in our conversations you've mentioned this that 
critical race theory, critical theory, social justice take a very, very selective view of history. In fact, it denies most of human history and most of human accomplishment and essentially ends up focusing on the century or two of the Atlantic slave trade and seeing everything through that prism. And that means that uh, because the, 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 the perspective on history is so narrow, narrow so uh, cherry-picked and so uh, almost uninformed, they create this bizarre situation where they claim wrongly that mathematics, science, uh, philosophy, uh, it, theology, these things are the products of the minds of white Western men and therefore are instruments of oppression. Even rationality is something they rebel against because it flows from the minds of white men. Now, I mean, isn't that a bizarre way to look at history, especially since I think we use Arabic numbers yeah. and a lot of our philosophy has its origin in the East far more than the West, you know, Persia and all those sorts of things. Is this a form of, you know, just historical misogyny or uh, historical chauvinism where they ignore what doesn't suit them? Well, it is, and it's very worrying because, first of all, it, it, it places a simplicity on what history is to suit a narrative. And secondly, I mean, you, you use the example of, of philosophy and belief. I mean, you're talking about everything from the Persian Empire, which was one of the first empires known to man, to the to Chinese knowledge systems, to Greek knowledge systems, all of which ha would have an, had an impact upon the peoples very often that those empires would have colonized. And those colon that colonization, I think they, 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 they date the first act of colonization to about 5000 BC. Man has colonized. Uh, sometimes they've been nicer about their colonization and fairer and more just and more understanding of the people they've colonized than others. But, you know, we're not, a, we're not an unbrutal uh, race. Oh, no, sorry, race is not the word I want. <laughs> a species. Human race. The human race is yes. not, uh, is not uh, without uh, inclinations to, uh, to harm and barbarity. But it, likewise, what is best about uh, society, about societies and peoples, is that systems, knowledge systems usually derive, may derive differently in different places, but you know, they will be spread, and the spread is usually, is not always, but it's very often of some form of empire or, or colony. And the problem that worries me about the critical race theory, as you say, the narrative largely, largely divide, derives from the 200 years of the slave trade in America. It, one, ignores the fact that, A, the slave trade goes back to the dawn of, 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 of man, and two, it also ignores the fact that the slave trade is still alive in countries. And mm -hmm. You know, there's something kind of creepy about it's it's under while one understands the harshness of the slave trade of America, it is not the only slave trade. It is not the only harshness. Um, many peoples come from harsh, almost indescribable circumstances, and so it, it's just it it strikes me both. It, I think chauvinism is the word. is very simplistic to base all your 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 theories of of your 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 theories and ideologies of how man should behave in a society based on solely 
a single period and, and its consequences of that period. I'm not to say that they don't play a role. One's history always plays a role in who one is and how one forges forward. But if you get trapped in a very narrow bar, you, you're, not, you're going to eventually start to lose the agency because essentially you're saying somebody else who is an oppressor is responsible for my lack of agency. Mm. And unless you can somehow get people who are no longer responsible for that lack of agency to uh, correct your agency, I don't mm. see where, where you get from that point. So we've got this weird thing where the whole of human history, the whole of human behavior, anthropology in its totality is essentially based on two centuries of the slave trade. And anything, anything loosely associated with those 200 years must be thrown out. And with it, the idea of rationality, with it, the idea of the scientific method, with it, the idea of mathematics. Um, it's, it's, it's guilt by association for some of the best ideas um, that has ever come forth from the human mind. And that makes it very difficult to have knowledge at all. Because if we can't apply the scientific method, if we can't have economics through rational analysis, I mean, how are we going to look at something like poverty? Because surely that is something that we should measure objectively and solve objectively rather than well, well, the problem, I think your objectively is exactly the term. You, everyone has, every poor person suffers their own subjective experience, but it, you can't solve people's subjective problems. You can solve those problems that are, can be objectively determined. To some extent, you can move to solving those, which should assist people to solve their own personal problems and, and, the, and the environment in which they live. But, I mean, the beauty of, of, of sort of objective truth is not that you always find it, or it's mm -hmm. that it may be ever-changing, and that is the whole role of mathematicians and scientists, is to know that you are always working with the possibility that you may be wrong, and it's additional mm -hmm. knowledge that will change your mind. So it's not, a, it's not an absolutely fixed idea at all. What it is, is that it's an idea that everyone can participate in. So you don't have to be a white male Anglo-Saxon professor of anything to, or mm. let's say mathematics, to evolve a theorem. Um, you can be a, a young Chinese 25-year-old polymath type person mm. who can pick up the same information because you have a commonality. It's almost like a commonality of language. Mm. And it's speaking mm. the same language, i.e. knowledge and idea, mm. of, of aiming to an objective truth that, that makes things grow and, and develop. I mean, I, I saw a documentary recently where they were, talk, they were featuring, I think, rivers, and they were going down a river in England, and they rode under a Roman aqueduct. Now, whatever was happening in, among, in Rome at the time, there were minds that fixed of how an aqueduct needs to be built so that water would run through it from point A where the water was to the city where the water needed to be. And give or take some adjustment to the science, it continues to work. You can still make that sort of thing work. Now, mm -hmm. why one would want to forego the use of that so-called Roman, Roman objectivity to a, a sort of South African rural water crisis when you can do it and it can be a benefit, why would you want to reject it? it, it it's that, the, it's the, I think that's this thing that we said in our very first episode is 
where justice is about real solutions, social justice just isn't. Because if we're going to look at a solution, let's let's take a very obvious example of medicine. Um, if I'm if I need life-saving treatment, I'm not going to care if the mind behind it is a white Western mind or a male mind or a female mind or a black mind or a colored mind or a Indian or a, I'm just going to want treatment that works. And, and that is because color. It's not. It's about not about color. The externality. It's about mm. the quality of the brain. Exactly, and whose brain it is. And and, and the, the, the the frustration, and we touched on this last week, is that if you're going to go down the route of social justice, you're going to undermine the idea of justice. So if you want to get to economic justice, if you want to solve something that is as objectively studyable and understandable as poverty, you're really going to end up with, you know, some creek without a paddle. Because if you can't measure through rationality, through mathematics, the scope, and horror of poverty in a country like South Africa, which is, let's be honest, largely affecting black South Africans, the very South Africans these critical race theorists but purport to want to stand up for. If you're going to chuck away mathematics and rationality, you're just undermining your own ability to solve poverty. So to, to, to look at the idea of objective knowledge being really one of the victims of critical race theory, social justice, critical theories, perhaps it's important to look at, you know, how words might be weaponized in this spiel, because we, we hear things like blackness and whiteness, um, and we also hear silence is violence and words are violence, and it's almost as if what we say is no longer something that we really can rely on as we used to in the past. I think it was Douglas Murray that made this point, that the rules change so fast, the meaning of words change so fast, that it's very difficult to keep up with when you are sinning and when you are virtuous, according to these priests of this new denomination of social justice. In South Africa, the word non-racialism is something that is in our constitution. But I think at Edonti, You've had dealings with incidents or schools where that word has been attacked and has been weaponized and is now, in their words, problematic. Is that? Is, am I right in thinking that? Yeah. Look, um, it's the, where we have had particular exposure, and it relates to non-racialism. But there, there, there are schools we've experienced where they hold as an act of racism the phrase "I don't see color." Now. I'm not sure how many people would use the term I don't see color in, you know, in this day and age, but what they mean is not that they see everyone as the same or see everyone as like everyone's white or everyone's black or, you know, they really don't make any distinction. I think what they mean, what most people mean when they say they don't see color is that they don't treat anyone, regard every, anyone differently in terms of their color. They take them on their own on their own merits, and they are not sort of blindsided by by color. Now, I think what the critical race theory say is you are prejudice. Color prejudice is always there to some or other extent. The point is, the, the whole idea between non-racism is not whether you think as a complete non-racist. It's more how you behave to other people. 
And that's really what how the best that society can hope for is that you grant pe people equal status irrespective of their color, equal respect irrespective of their color. You don't you, you, you don't look at you know determining that they are something literally by the color of their skin. They are a victimizer or they are a victimized or by their gender or whatever it might be. And that's that's something that seems to have occurred time and time again. So there's and there's also a tendency not to when non-racism, which simply means not using race as a criterion for responding to people, for them, anti-racism is the word. And the problem with anti-racism is means you must be against racism, but not any racism, it's racism against black people. So if you say that I'm against racism against black people, I'm also against racism against white people or Jewish people or whatever it may be, um, then that's not what they mean by non-racism or anti-racism. So if you say you don't support the phrase or the term anti-racism, you are anti-anti-racism, so you're a racist. And this whole this whole sort of inversion of, of, of language as we know it, I would feel much more respect for it if they used words that are, created words that were completely and utterly new. But they don't mm. you get the version of anti-racism, of diversity meaning color, not the complexity of culture and personhood, etc., and that's mm. that's one of the problems with the use or the abuse of, of the use of language. I think it is, and perhaps on this, I, I'll, I'll end it here because otherwise, I might just delve into several rabbit holes of depression. Is two of the greatest tools that history has revealed or man has developed is the idea of rationality, of objective knowledge and language, that you can find truth no matter who you are, and you can communicate truth to whomever you choose, that the finder of truth and the recipient of expression is something open to anyone, and that if you don't have to reject truth on where it comes from, nor do you have to wonder what someone is saying to you because the language has been perverted? So this, this idea of objective knowledge and objectively measurable, communicable, useful language, I mean, without these things, we're essentially rewriting more than a thousand years of history and just going back to a place where truth wasn't something that was accessible to anyone but the holiest of holy people, these oracles touched by experience and then also this pagan ritual of chanting inanities and that being useful. It is just so striking that far from getting to a point where we can have just societies, therefore uh, lowercase s, lowercase j, social justice, these two instruments that can make it happen, that could contribute to its occurring, have been fundamentally undermined and eroded by people with the idea of capital S social and capital J justice. And to end off, as we always do, the problem is that social justice is not about justice, but justice is about freedom. And as we at FAN always hear say, your freedom is worth fighting for, and perhaps at this point, your freedom is worth fighting for against those who want to say that you do not have the objective reason to fight for freedom, nor do you have the language to properly advocate for
for it. And with that, we end off. Sarah, thank you so much. See you, everyone, next week.